Hey y'all, it's your girl KDT with a quick word before we start today's episode. This one I have to say was powerful. I had the chance to talk to Vanessa Gian's sister Myra. Vanessa is the beautiful soldier who went missing from Fort Hood, Texas, and had it not been for the courageousness of her family, her disappearance may have gone unsolved. Tragically, on June 30th of last year, her remains were found, buried, dismembered, at the hands of a fellow soldier who later committed suicide. You may hear a little bit of background noise in part of this interview, but trust me, you will be able to hear everything that Myra has to say as she talks about the foundation that her family has started in Vanessa's honor and how she deals with this tragedy and this horrible one-year anniversary that happens to also coincide with her birthday. Hello, hello, and welcome to In My Shoes. It's a podcast for women of color where we talk about the issues we face every day. And I am your host, Karen Davis-Thompson, and I am so delighted to have this guest with me. I'm honored uh, that she took the time to speak to me today. I'm going to be talking to one of Vanessa Guillen's sisters. Her name is Myra. And if you uh, haven't been following it, Vanessa was um, a strong, beautiful young woman who was serving her country, who went missing at Fort Hood. Um, The army didn't seem to be able to get its act together. Her family took charge to try to find out what happened to her. Um, And I'm just going to let her sister tell the story um, of what happened to Vanessa and what her family had to endure. So hello, Myra, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing okay, and yourself? I'm great. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak to me today. Um, I just want to start by asking you a little bit about um, your sister. So Vanessa was uh, 20 years old, right, when she went missing? Correct. And how old was she when she joined the Army? I believe graduated high school, 18 at the time. 18 when she joined. And I know from what I I read and what I saw in the documentary I watched, your mom said that that was something she always wanted to do was to serve her country. Is that correct? Correct. Did she ever say why that was important to her? You know, it never really had like a a strong reasoning as to why she never really had like that one um, statement as to why it was just Mm -hmm. something that she always felt passionate for she was always a really active person in general like um she wouldn't just like to sit around and like not do anything um she was always either playing sports or some type of school activity and um you know the military it's you can't just sit around it's like you know you're always doing pt you're always you know up and going and i felt like she felt that was for her um Ever since a young age, she was never really like um, a girly girl. We could say that she was always like more in the tomboy like mm-hmm. action movies, like all of that, you know? Right. And I think I read some of that. She loves sports, mm-hmm. all of that. Right. She's very, very active, um, very uh, always in the weight room, that sort of thing. Right. Oh, yeah. She loved doing weights. Yeah. So she joins the army and she is stationed at Fort Hood, which I understand was about maybe three hours from you all in Texas. Right. Yes, that, yeah, that was Central Texas. We live a little bit more down south in Houston. Okay. That was about a three hour, three hour, 20 minutes. And so she would come home frequently most weekends, from what I understand. Um, and so tell me a little bit about what happened the last day that you um, saw your sister and she was headed back to Fort Hood. Right. So the last day um, she, uh, we did spend uh, the day together um, down in the afternoon. She went to her boyfriend's house. Um, they spent some time together and I had something to do. So I got home a little late and I wanted to see her before I left. And I actually told her I was very tired. I think I was from work because um, at the time I used to work weekends. And um, I took her, I was like, hey, um, did you eat already? If not, so we can go eat or otherwise, if you can um, stop by and bring me food. She was like, no, yeah, we already ate, but um, sure, I'll, I'll buy you something. Um, what do you want? And I was like, anything that's close by. And then at that point, um, Waterburger was the closest thing to our house. So um, she went over, I showered, well, I showered. And then um, I actually rushed out the shower when I heard the text that she was already there. And I texted her, okay, well, I'll be right out. Um, let me change and stuff and she was like oh well I have to go already it's late and I was like no 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 go on give me a few minutes I was like I'll be right out so um I literally rushed to the point where I was still in my towel and um got out the restroom and seen that she already had her stuff in hand and um for some reason I I don't know I felt like I had the need to tell her um bye um and it's not very usual but like we don't really say bye because we know we're going to see each other again, or at least that's what we hope. 
And um, at that point in time, I don't know why it was the urge to like uh, give her a hug and, um, you know, tell her to drive safe and to text me as soon as she arrived. Um, but from what I knew, she was actually going to stay over and wake up super early to head out in the morning rather than driving um, at night. So um, she brought me my food and um, I got to say bye and that was it. You said your goodbyes and she, um, I think maybe it said she spent the night at her boyfriend's, got up really early the next day. So when did you know, you know, she's back on base now. Did you hear from her to say, hey, I made it. And when did you know something wasn't right? Well, since she headed out so early, um, she didn't really text me to not wake me up because she knew I had worked the day, the previous day. Um, well, no, let me take that back. That this actually happened not on Monday. It was on the 22nd. So we still kept in touch. Everything was good. Um, on that morning of the 22nd, I have a really busy morning in the office. So I'm not even on my phone and I'm not supposed to be on my phone. So I didn't get to text her good morning. We had talked the previous day, so it was like kind of my turn to reply, and I didn't get a chance to do it. And when I was about to text her, Juan reaches out to me, um, and he asked me, hey, have you been in touch with Vanessa? And I'm like, no, not not this morning. I've been very busy, but um, I'm going to text her just now. And he's like, okay, because um, we talked. She told me they called her into work, and we're supposed to talk again during lunchtime and it's about that time and there's no reply. And I was like, okay, well, you know, um, let me reach out real quick. Um, I'll give her a call. And our long like of uh, in between us is that we don't really call unless it's an emergency. So we normally text, um, you know, uh, get back at each other through text. Now, if, if it's a call, it's something that, you know, it's a little bit more important or we need the answer like right there and then. So uh, whether she called or I called, it was like, no matter what you have to answer. That was like our thing. So I gave her a call and it goes straight to voicemail. And I'm like wondering if she is at work and she's in the arms room, there's no service down there. Um, because uh, it's happened in previous occasions when I've needed to contact her and I called her um, in the arms room. There's no service. When she came up, she would call me back and tell me, oh, like I'm working. I'll give you a call back as soon as I'm done. So I was a bit worried. Um, I told them there's no answer and let me text her because even then if there's no service for the phone calls, most of the time the text would go through even if it would delay a bit. So I texted her and your iPhone, you know, it's supposed to say delivered to know if they received the message or not. So it wouldn't be delivered. I tried again. There was nothing. I tried calling throughout the day. Nothing. Uh, that's when I started getting worried. At about three o'clock, I'm like, there's no way she's working all these hours without giving us notice. And that's when I start questioning myself is everything really okay um I started wondering did they give her overtime I mean you know COVID and everything last thing I knew there wasn't that many hours of work and so I text her best friend there's nothing um her best friend is able to give me contacts though um from the base because she knew Vanessa's friends at the time and that's when about 7, 7.30, I get out from work. Um, I try to figure a way in telling my parents that we haven't really heard from Vanessa all day today, but I didn't want to scare them either. So eventually I had to tell them, hey, this is going on. We haven't had contact with her. I don't know if you guys have noticed. And that's when the mom's like, yeah, I texted her and she hasn't replied. And she's actually very worried I, I feel like as a parent they felt something that we didn't even though that day I felt super anxious um I'm able to contact the base and that's when I first find out um that she had left all her stuff behind as of um they told me 12 p.m lunchtime that she had left all her stuff behind meaning her keys her id card uh, I believe her wallet as well. And 
that she was supposed to go take a document over but never made it back so that's when I got really upset and I'm like and that didn't raise a red flag for you guys right and that's when the whole thing started and what was their reasoning for not thinking, gosh, that's weird. You know, nobody's seen her until, you know, and it's been hours. What was their explanation for that? Right. You know, they really didn't have an explanation. At that time, I was dealing with the staff sergeant. Staff sergeant would be in charge of keeping attendance or keeping track of their soldiers. So from all I knew, I was like, when are they supposed to report back or how much time does, how much, like, what time frame after what time frame do you ask yourself where is such and such and they weren't able to give me answers the only answer he told me if she doesn't check in by 10 p.m then um that's whenever they would start taking action so that's when I questioned myself I'm like it's been over six hours how does that how does that not alarm you guys like I was really upset it's like at the moment they They weren't thinking about it or they just didn't care um, from what I could see. So you and Juan, that was her boyfriend, right? Yes. Decide what, that you're going to go down there and and start looking around for yourself. What did you all decide to do next once it seemed like the army didn't seem to think that this was an alarming thing that they had not been able to locate her in hours? Right. So that same night I decided, yeah, these things are never going to be able to get done over the phone. So I was like, I'm heading down. Whoever wants to come with me can come with me. Otherwise, I'll go by myself. I was like, I need to figure out what's going on and whether she's okay or not, because this is not her. I'm like, she would already have called me from another phone number if she was in some sort of trouble or if she would have broken her phone, etc. anything. She would have contacted me way beforehand. And hearing the scenario that the army was giving me it didn't sound good at all so I headed down there um then the following morning I was received by staff sergeant first sergeant all these people very overwhelming about 15 higher-ups and I, I, I made them you know listen I was like I know this isn't her she didn't just go missing just like that there's something more to this and I expect something to get done and I I guess they felt the pressure of me going into the base and not necessarily just calling over the phone and that's when they were like I, I guess they were like yeah she's here something has to get done before things get worse so they started initially searching right there and then um through every every um barrack room and that's when I'm like, wait a minute, who was the last person to see her? I was like, that's where you're supposed to start. Where was the, what, what was the last place that somebody claimed to see her? And um, there was no answers. So did they just, I, every, time I, every time I hear this story, think about, I just, I can't imagine. So is it their go-to that if a, if a person goes missing, if a, if a service member is missing, that they're just AWOL? Like there's no protocol Correct. that says there's a problem here. They're just AWOL. Correct. And then, so what that means, what, that they don't typically look for the person. They just. Yeah. According to, yeah. According to them, they'll just try to reach out via phone. um, If they're not able to reach the person, I don't know who exactly they run to um, because, you know, we didn't give them that much time. I had to act first. I don't know how long it would have took them to reach out to us and let us know, hey, she's missing. You as family members, do you know anything in regards to what happened? So I, I honestly don't know what steps they take or if they take any steps when someone goes missing. And why did you decide it was important to actually physically go down there and really look somebody in the eye and say, hey, I need some answers about what's going on with my sister? Well, you know, it's not something that just a normal thing. I mean, I I believe every every person, every older or even younger sibling knows their their sibling. And for me, it wasn't like her to just leave her stuff behind and not give a sign of where she is or if something happened. And 
from previous occasions and previous messages that me and her had already talked about, it, it did scare me to think that something happened to her. And therefore, I, I took initiative and I wasn't going to let any more time pass. And um, I felt like, again, things over the phone never get done. So I decided to go in person and try to figure out or at least see for myself, like the environment or what was going on, just get a sense of feeling because I myself had never gone inside that base. That was the very first time. Did you ever get the feeling? I know a lot of times I think when a person goes missing and a loved one says, this isn't like her. I think sometimes that's kind of dismissed because, oh, everybody says that, right? Did did you kind of get that feeling that it was almost like, um, you know, we were making too big of it, big a deal of it, or once you arrive there in person and now it's not, oh, I'm sorry, we're over the phone and now you're in person, it seems to carry more weight. Because sometimes I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel like when a family member says this isn't like him or her, people feel like, oh, everybody says that. Yeah, I, I hear it all the time, you know, in previous missing person cases, um, it, it's something that's said and I mean, again, I, I feel like everyone knows everyone. And if you're close enough to that person to speak on that, I feel like you should be believed. One, because especially, you know, if it's a sibling, um, it's very important. And we, we don't know the seriousness of the case or where the person's missing until, you know, eventually time passes and, and we see the outcome. But I feel like it's important to take like action one because I I can only imagine again how long the army would have took in order to reach out to us rather than us having stepping you know taking a step ahead and going into the base and trying to figure out what was going on how long did it take you all before you felt like you know, we're going to have to go outside of the army and solicit some help, whether it was legal representation, reaching out to your congressperson. How long did it take and what happened that let you know that they were either not capable or not willing to take this as seriously as they needed to? Well, you know, um, at the beginning, I was there as soon as I had to deal with military police that experience was just horrible. I feel like if I was talking to somebody in fifth grade that didn't even know what questions to ask me nor what step to take in a missing person's case. Um, We started off on the wrong foot. And secondly, then dealing with CID on the third day, um, very incompetent. It's like they state themselves as federal agents, yet I didn't get any of that. Um, what could they do? Take my phone. I could read my own messages to them if that's what they wanted to. Um, there wasn't really anything done. And as soon as my mother realized that, I realized that, you know, the whole family, I started questioning myself. I was like, what can we do in order to, to move this? Because, you know, the army, they have their own jurisdiction. And from all I knew, I still tried reaching out to outside, um, Killeen Police Department or even Bell County Sheriff's Department and they would all they would all tell me as soon as I told them what was going on they would all tell me we're sorry but you have to report that to the army we can't do anything about it and I would just feel so frustrated because dealing with military police and CID you get nowhere um it, it was so frustrating like trying to find help that you know, we realized we need to take another step. Something can be done. And that's when um, we were led on to talking to our Congresswoman, um, Sylvia Garcia. And then from there, we received help. We received attention. And once they knew Congress was involved, then we got to speak to the third Calvary um, Colonel when no other higher up had reached out to us. So it took them about a month and it took some action with Congress for them to realize that we were not playing around, that this was actually something very serious. And, you know, the media got involved, that played a big role. And um, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson also 
wanted to find any way to help us, even if we weren't under her, um, what do you call, what's the correct term? Her jurisdiction? Yeah, her jurisdiction. So I guess that's when people started noticing, like, hey, this is serious. Um, something really bad happened because it, it was about to be a month. Or if I'm not, you know, with my time frames, it's all have been so quick and so slow. But within that month, um, they realized that this was something serious. And that's when Eflin, um, I forgot what his position was, but he was in charge of Fort Hood at the time. That's when he decided to make a video talking about, oh, the soldier is missing. We have to do blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, now that you guys seen who's involved, now y'all want to take action. Like it literally took them a whole month to listen. Do you think that the fact that because, you know, at some point, I don't know if did you already know or was it when your mother uh, revealed that she had, you know, Vanessa had finally confided into her that she was being sexually harassed. Um, And so do you think that the fact that she was a woman, since clearly the army has a problem with that and protecting um, their female soldiers from even harassment, do you think race or her gender played a part in their kind of flippant attitude? Or did you get the sense that this is just what they did? They, you know, because I think CID is criminal investigative uh, division or department, like this is just how they handle stuff. Or do you think it was made worse by the fact that she was, um, she was Hispanic and female. Do you think that played a role at all? I don't think so because I, that's when we started some research. Um, myself and Lupe, my sister, we started to actually do some research about Fort Hood and their cases. And when we tell you like all these bad things came out of nowhere, um, it was so surprising and alarming. And we did try telling CID about the sexual harassment and they they came back and said, well, we don't consider that criminal. So they did not even look in that direction. They completely ignored that, that statement and they thought it was not important. And as soon as um, we started noticing and hearing about all these cases that were not, they were, that were on, unsolved, that's when we were like, if we don't do anything different, this is going to become another cold case, just like all the other cases. So I don't think um, the whole um, race thing has anything to do. But I, when it comes to the gender um, as well, I don't think so. Because, you know, the case with Gregory, the, cra- the case uh, with Gregory Morales, Elder Fernandez, you know, they're males and um, Gregory White, um, Fernandez, I believe he was also Hispanic background. And, you know, we were getting treated exactly the same. So for me, that didn't play a big role. Now the sexual harassment and the sexual assault stuff, I feel like they didn't want to look in that direction. I don't know if because of previous cases that they were able to keep on the low. Um, You know, it's just hard to tell, like, or in my opinion, like they just simply don't care and they're doing, and they're there to work their eight hours and and that's it, not really to solve anything. Yeah, I was a bit curious about that. I, I wondered, um, but I kind of thought maybe the way you did, but obviously I haven't been as intimately involved, obviously, but it just appeared mm-hmm. as though this was just the thing they did, you know, like the the poor soldier who had been missing and they mm-hmm. found his remains while they were looking for your sister right. and his poor mother. It was like, what do you mean he's gone missing? And I mean, to the point where he you know, it was almost like, I don't think it's a dishonorable discharge, but it was almost like he just voluntarily walked off, right. um, which made no sense since he was about to be uh, leaving and, you know, he was right. leaving the military in a couple of weeks. So you just decide two weeks before to just walk off. So I, I was just curious, but I kind of got the same impression from what I was reading and watching. It's like the department itself doesn't seem to be um, equipped right. to deal with this or maybe not right. trained, which is so weird. You would think the army, right? Did you think that I was think that the army would be better trained for something like that? Did you kind of think the same thing? Yes, because they're the ones that protect us. You know, they go, they have all this technology. They have all these things provided to them that it's amazing how much they lack resources, how much they lack knowledge, how much they lack so many things. And I don't know if it's just this base, because obviously I haven't really dealt with any other base and I don't wish 
to do so. But um, it's just amazing how so much came out of the investigation towards where CAD only had one or two licenses out of seven that they needed or where they didn't have such resources that they needed the help from EquiSearch uh, in order to do all these searches in the water, um, from the sky with the drones and stuff. I'm like, are you sure you're talking about the army? Like, it, it's amazing how they don't have all those things yet. Those are the people that are meant to protect us. I, I, I don't know how that correlates or I don't understand like how, how it works, honestly. That is, that's very scary. And even the fact that, I guess, what do they call it? If, if I'm telling you that she was sexually harassed, right? You're looking into that. How do you say that we don't consider that criminal? So what do they, what do they classify that as? It's, it's, I don't know, just bad behavior. I mean, how do you not consider harassment, assault criminal? I, I just don't know how you tell a family that. Um, and I know in the beginning, there seemed to be some uh, hesitation to look into that. Did they say, oh, just because we don't think it's criminal, but how do you not think the fact that she's saying she was harassed may not correlate to what happened to her and the fact that she's missing? Um, did they ever explain why they didn't think those two things could possibly be linked or that they needed to maybe look into it further and not just say, oh, well, that we don't think that's criminal. No, there was actually never an explanation. And because her phone, I mean, I, I don't know if there was any type of evidence in regards to that or how the harassment was made, but I'm pretty sure it's in person. And even if there was something on her phone, I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't really even try to investigate it that's how incompetent they were and um they were so young like I felt like being a private investigator would mean someone of age someone with experience with knowledge and no I was dealing with people my age I believe and it was very sad to see that let's say I could just go in there, put on the uniform and do the work that you're doing and call myself a federal agent. I was like, I don't understand. Like there should be, you know, a certain age requirement, just like they have it for all these positions in Senate and Congress. You have to be a certain age to lead people. I believe the same, they should be doing the same thing with all these um, CID agents that are so young. Um, I feel like there's no experience, there's no knowledge, and they can't deal with such cases. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. So this goes on for months. And right. then um, you hire a lawyer, you get your congresswoman involved. When was the first time they came to you all with any real credible evidence or some sort of explanation as to what happened to Vanessa? Did they ever provide that to you all? Right, so the very first time they they ever um, did a meeting, uh, I forgot the exact date, but it was in the base. It was Eflin, the highest position in Fort Hood at the time. He was in charge of the base. Um, all these higher-ups, chief of police of Killeen Department at the time, Sylvia Garcia. Natalie Kawam were attorney, my dad, myself, and all these people were there in that meeting room when CID brought up this PowerPoint, went over all these things, and they admitted that foul play was suspected. That's the first time ever that they came back. And that was a, a, about a month after, a little bit over a month. No, I'm lying. It was about to be two months, two months into this. Because it was, I believe, like the last week of June. So all these things were being said. Foul play was like a big keyword to us. Something that, of course, we didn't want to hear, but we were expecting. Um, and that's when things took off. I mean, uh, a lot of people were like, they finally admitted that something something bad happened now it's up to them to truly investigate and find the motive to all these things so i know that uh there was a lot of concern about um the amount of time that lapsed the fact that they didn't seem to be able to get their act together when did 
outside people. Like I know there was a gentleman who um, had lost his daughter and had started, I can't remember his name, but he started an organization where he kind of helped families who were looking for missing loved ones. Did you all contact all of those people? Did the army begin to finally say, hey, we're in over our heads and we need to ask for help? Um, because you said like the sheriff's officer office was there when they first told you, Hey, we, you have to report this to the army. So did they begin to reach out and just admit that we need the help or was it you all forcing the issue? Yeah. Yeah. Tim Miller, he's the founder, um, of Echo Search and yeah, they dedicate themselves to help find missing people. So we actually, found out about Tim because of one of our relatives one of my cousins um, knew about the organization and said hey why don't we get him involved and we were like do you think they'll let us I mean it's the army and sure enough I mean I guess as soon as the army saw that this wasn't only an issue that they could keep like um, I don't know how they could tell someone no don't help us search I think that would have put them even in a worse position um to everyone and uh, they accepted the help. And I guess that's when they realized, hey, this is not just our case, but it's everyone's case at now. Like it's both public and military. So weeks, months have passed. And now, you know, you have the first uh, discovery of human remains, but you find out that's not your sister, that they they feel that that um, body has been there too long to have been your sister. And so they continue to search and then you get the call that says, hey, we found something, uh, you know, we're not sure, but it could be. Uh, what was that day like for you and for your family? Well, you know, as soon as um, the media really gets to stuff fairly quick, um, I started seeing that going around the internet. And of course, there's this suspense that we don't really know what's going on. And I get the call from CID and they assure me that it's not Vanessa that it seems to be a male and it's been there for a while. Like the time frame would not fit with the time frame that we had. So they could assure me right off the back that it wasn't her. So that was some sort of a relief. But at the same time, we were all wondering, like, I was so scared that there, I was like almost assuring them, watch it be Gregory. And sure enough, that was what happened. And then when they finally came to you with something that you thought was credible, that could be your sister and did obviously turn out to be the case. What was that day like for you all? Well, you know, that day um, uh, was actually very, very hard for me, um, especially because June 30th is my birthday. And I know I I kept... um, I kept asking, uh, I kept, you know, praying and asking God and telling him, like, if I don't have an answer by June 30th, I feel like I'm going to go crazy or I don't know what's going to happen. And sure enough, on the 30th, I get the call from Tim Miller. He's the first one to give me a call. Um, And that day we were actually driving down to D.C. So I wasn't able to get on my phone and text and do all that. Um. There was more family members with us in the car. And I know my aunt's trying to tell me something, but she can't because my aunt only speaks Spanish. And if she spoke, my mom was obviously going to understand her. So as soon as I got to pull over, uh, we made it to D.C. My aunt's like, don't get on the Internet. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And as soon as I get in, that's the first thing I see. And I just... I, I I didn't know how to feel about it. I deep down in my heart, I felt like that was my sister, but I didn't want to believe it. And as soon as I see Tim calling, I'm like, yeah, this is not good. So um, I I answer the call. I get off the truck because I don't I don't I don't want anyone to hear this. And sure enough, he asked me. He's like, are you are you not driving? Um, because what I'm about to tell you, you no, know, you can't be driving. Uh, make sure you're, you know, your mom's not around, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, no, 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 just say whatever you have to say. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in a parking garage. Like, we'll be fine. Um, he describes to me something that I'll never be able to repeat with my own, with my own mouth. Uh, it's very painful to describe what, what he told me, but um, he confirmed to me that 
um, there was Vanessa and there was so much silence after that, that, I mean, at that time, I didn't know how to react. And um, obviously, you know, there was, there was a big reaction, um, you know, emotional. And um, I just, you know, dropped my phone and um, tried to get away from everyone because I didn't want anyone to see me um fall like that and especially not my mother so I try to collect myself in like two to three minutes and I'm able to head back and act like nothing happened and um about half an hour later I receive a call from CAE and they let me know what happened uh but this time they don't tell me that it's not Vanessa they just tell me they're waiting for confirmation that it's going to take about two, three days and that they should be getting back with me with the confirmation. But at that time, I already knew that it was her and I had to keep quiet until I got the confirmation from CID in order to tell my dad or in this case, my aunt. But it was it was really hard. And how was it when you were you the one that had to tell your, your parents once the confirmation was in? that uh, it was indeed Vanessa and what was that like yeah the first person I talked to was my dad um we were able to to go into my room and and be alone and I told him I'm like I'm pretty sure you're you're aware of um that they found remains in the area where they were searching for Vanessa and he's like yeah I saw it um on on the internet so um he kind of already knew um what was going on the hardest part was telling my mom um because I know I had gotten I, I called my sister back at home and I told her um can you please set up something for Vanessa um because it's like in our culture to set up like a altar for for someone that's passed and I had her um set it up and as soon as we got back home, because I knew the the people from the casualty office were going to come down and tell my parents because it's by law. So I was worried, you know, I can't let someone that's not a family member tell my mom that her daughter's gone. And that day we arrived. And she's seen the setup of like the pictures of Vanessa, the flowers and everything. And she turns around and she looks at us and she's like, why are y'all doing this? My daughter's not dead. So that just made it even harder. Like that killed me inside that I knew information that I was hiding from her that I could not tell her. Um, so that day I just keep thinking about it, keep thinking about it. And eventually it, it's like around 10, 11 p.m. And I'm like, mom, can can we talk? before you go to bed and then she's like yeah um because I've seen her a little bit more calm and um I was like there's something that I have to tell you but I, like I need you to promise me that you're not gonna overreact um this has already been hard enough for everyone and I I told her um they found remains on the 30th and I got the confirmation that it was Vanessa and all she tells me was like, I, I felt that in my heart already. And I did get to see it on the news. I just didn't tell you guys anything because I didn't want to believe it. And then from there, like she starts crying and she's like, so it's true. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm sorry. Um, I couldn't let anyone else tell you this. And um, the casualty officer is coming by tomorrow. So I just had to tell you before I let a stranger tell you. And um, sure enough, she was just like, okay. Um, she's like, thank you for, for letting me know and um, go to bed. It, it's late already. And we'll talk tomorrow. Like she kept the conversation really short and I guess, you know, it was, it was really hard on her. I can only uh, imagine how difficult it has to be to have that information and you know, you can't share it. Um, because you're waiting on 
confirmation for something that you already know to be true. Um, and so after that day, had they already named her killer? Had they already named him? Is it Aaron David Robinson? Had he already been named a suspect or a person of interest at that point? Oh my, if I tell you, it's, it's crazy. Um, the night after that, we were still in DC, right? So th- I think this was the first or whenever they issued the bolo for him. I get a call. No, yeah, it was a right, right after because I was exhausted. I drove about 19 hours to get to DC and um, I was asleep. And all of a sudden the hotel phones start ringing and then I don't hear it. So then my dad comes to my door and he starts knocking and he's like, they're calling you. And I'm like, it's keep in mind it's like three in the morning three four in the morning I don't know it's super late and I'm like who the hell is calling at this time like do people not have respect because I was like what I needed to know I already know you know so I was like in my head I was wondering I was like what's going on so sure enough I answered the phone it's CID and really quick that I even forgot what agent it was oh we have one suspect uh, one, we have two suspects, uh, one's alive and one's dead. And I'm like, wait a minute. I was like, did it, I was like, what are you trying to, like, what are you telling me? And she's like, we have two suspects, one alive and one's dead. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with these people? <laughs> I'm like, do you think you can just wake someone up like that and give them that news? Like one's alive, one's dead. Like it was crazy like the way that she explained it on like a minute she was like oh Aaron David Robinson he shot himself suicide blah blah blah, blah. and then we have Cecily Aguilar she's been detained all these things and I'm like who are these people when did this happen why didn't you guys tell us at the very beginning when you suspected of these individuals it was just so 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 bad Wait, so you're telling me that you guys didn't know until after he was dead that he was a suspect in her murder? Yes. That's nuts. Well, did they explain how? Because, you know, what I watched on uh, the 2020 special, they had him like detained and somehow Mm -hmm. he gets away and all of that. Did they explain any of that or it was just, hey, I mean, you're just supposed to be grateful that they got two suspects and one of, them's, uh, one of them is dead and this is the first you're hearing of it. Did they give you any more explanation at any point? No. My call was so short and it was so explicit that like you think that they're like joking, but they're being serious. And it was just crazy how they just piled up things on you like with no consideration. I mean, I don't know how else to explain this. It really leaves you speechless. Like I I didn't get that from watching all of the reports that the first time you guys are hearing anything about this person is after he's killed himself, which means obviously no chance to get any answers for what happened to Vanessa because he's dead now. Um, And, you know, you didn't even have the opportunity to even know this was happening that. Wow. Um, Just wow. It it, it does. It it leaves you speechless for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. If we could talk a little bit now about the legislation that you all have been working to pass. I know it was introduced, was it last year and then reintroduced? Where does it stand with that? And what are you hoping will change uh, if and when that is passed? Right, so last year um, we introduced it and it was promised to us that on her birthday on September 30th, it would have been um, voted on. That didn't happen. So this year we found ourselves, you know, bringing it up again. You know, there's a new president, there's new party, everything changed. And we brought it up again. Um, You know, we tried keeping the momentum, tried keeping, um, tried keeping everything um, moving. And we've had several meetings and, where now um, there's been some changes. I know it was introduced. Um, um, the, I forgot the exact date, um, but not too long ago. And um, we will be reintroducing it again on this Wednesday at 10 in the morning 
in the capital. And we actually have Senator Gillibrand, um, along with other senators, uh, Congresswoman Jackie Spears, uh, Speaker Pelosi, and um, we've agreed to uh, bring both bills together, um, both our, the one that we were trying to get into law and the one that Gillibrand is trying to get into law. So it not only, so it won't only focus on the sex harassment and assault on being charged as a criminal case, but all other cases being taken out the chain of command. And I watched the the uh, piece again on 2020 and they talked a lot about all of the changes that they've made and how they're never gonna forget her because they've named a gate after her. Um, and how do you all feel about that and about Fort Hood at this point? And do you feel like they've made any real change or progress since what happened to your sister? And do you think that the naming of the gate is just, we're just gonna name this gate and hope this is appe- appeases people or to, for them to think that we're, we've really changed? Or do you oh, really yeah. think they have they're, to? No, they're, they're such big hypocrites because I hear some things from soldiers. I. You know, they, they, they're only trying to make this better for themselves and their best interest for the public. Um, personally, for me, the gate, you know, it'll be there for a while. And it'll remind all those new incoming soldiers, uh, because obviously there's, there, there, there's going to be more enlistments. And it'll, they'll question themselves, like, who is an SBN? And once they pick up the story I'm pretty sure that it'll stick with them and hopefully keep them from doing such things and serve honorably but I feel like more or less it was just to tell the public hey um, we're honoring her don't hate us too much etc but I mean at the end of the day it's 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 bad i mean i hear certain soldiers telling me like my command doesn't care um even if we try to talk about the issue it's things like oh get over it it's been a year already like yeah it's so easy for you since it didn't happen to your family um or i don't know if that's just the culture in the military i mean it's hard to tell um I, i i i don't even know how to explain it but um I've seen the other changes. I'm actually glad that soldiers' parents got to meet the command and know who's in charge of their kids, know who's in charge of um, of leaning them on. I mean, I feel like it's very important because me at the time I was lost, I knew nothing about who was in charge of my sister. And um, it gives me some peace to know that there is changes happening and it's for the better, unfortunately. Um, it's too late for us, but um, I'm, I'm up for it if it can help those innocent guys and girls that are, you know, currently serving and protecting us. Is there a way for people to support the um, passing of this bill? Like, can they call their congressman and say, hey, this is important. You should listen. Um, is there a way that people can get involved to help you all get the bill pushed through? Uh, yes, um, uh, there's actually, um, it would be really nice of people to uh, take five minutes out their day, give a call to their office, and um, just tell them, hey, we believe that the story of Vanessa Guillen, um, it's important, and you should support the bill. Um, and the same thing, you know, um, just ask for support, that's all. Um, keeping the story alive and in social media um, that yeah that would that would be really good thank you so much we'll be definitely make sure that we um, encourage people to do that definitely even in the show notes uh, just a couple more questions as I wrap it up I know it has to be hard uh, coming up I guess it's been a year what is it April that they um, said that she was was killed in June 30th um, it's got to be a, a tough birthday for you, and it'll be the year since her remains were found. Uh, but I know you all have started the Vanessa Guillen Foundation. Is that correct? What What does that organization do? Right. So we did announce it, and our goal is to help set up some type of 
organization where we're able to help um, military members, whether it's speaking out or if they need any type of advice um, for us to be there. Um, but at the moment, it you know, it's a little complicated with the whole legislation thing. Um, it keeps us really busy. So I feel like as soon as um, the bill gets passed, we're going to have a little bit more time to focus and I'll have a little bit more time to plan out and see how how it is that we can we can help them um, and you know try to make the best out of it. And finally, what are a few things that you want people to know about Vanessa? Well, um, she is a very sweet, loving person. Um, she would be the type to give up what she had to help others. Um, she was a really fit person. She was um, always trying to get me to be fit. And I'm like, yeah, it's never going to work out. Um, um, she was just, I mean, anyone that met her, she would make people smile somehow. And even though she was a little serious and shy, um, once you got to know her, like it would bring out the best in her. And um, I don't know, there's only a few people that are like that now in this world. But, you know, it, it's hard to think that um, out of all the persons, it had to be her. But I mean, we're, we're going to try to make her legacy live on and live on for a long time. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, that's part of why I wanted to do this to really help with that. I think sometimes these stories come and they're in the news and in the spotlight until they're not. And then the families are left, you know, still grieving and trying to make sure that their loved one was not killed um, in vain and that some change can come for others. Uh, and right. you all are certainly doing that. And I so appreciate it. And again, thank you for taking this time to talk to me today. Um, that is all the time we have. If you want to hear us talk about anything on In My Shoes, hit me up at KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. That's all the time we have for now. And until we get a chance to speak again, be blessed.